0: You're listening to the Wesley Seminary Podcast. Your host today is Dr. Aaron Perry, Associate Professor of Pastoral Theology and Leadership. What if I told you your church, your ministry, your organization has all kinds of potential and it's got all kinds of potential precisely because it doesn't all depend on you. I think that is some of today's message. That comes from our guest lance ford lance along with rob wegner with commentary from alan hirsch is the author of the starfish and the spirit unleashing the leadership potential of churches and organizations it's published by zondervan press and it really is the culmination of lance's career and writing ministry and that of rob where they have seen multiple insights into how churches can thrive by diffusing the leadership by pushing the potential not just from the top but into all aspects of these organizations in today's episode you're going to hear us talk about fear and leadership you're going to hear us talk about what a pastor or a leader can do if they sense that their organization has gotten stuck how you might have tough conversations with leaders who might be in a spot where their leadership is going off the rails and maybe it's being marked by more lack of health than by health in today's episode you're going to hear some stories from lance and some insights from lance over a career of church planting and ministry and now coaching that he does for pastors all across north america lance has written a number of books on leadership and disciple making he's designed training systems that are used by leaders across the globe he serves as an adjunct professor at multiple seminaries and he's also the co-founder of centralized conferences where he does talk about diffused leadership going through the entire church thanks so much for tuning in stay tuned for a word from our sponsor and then enjoy the podcast we are wesley and you belong here my name is victoria borum and i am wesley i'm lenny lucchetti and i am wesley my name is chris and guess what i am wesley hi i'm tina shopit and i am wesley we recognize this beautiful diversity that the lord has called together that is
1: wesley my name is corey Merritt, and i am wesley i am wayne brown
0: and i am wesley
1: i am colleen durr And I belong here. You belong here, too, because we are Wesley.
0: Welcome to the Wesley Seminary podcast, Lance. It's great to have you with us. Yeah, good
1: to be with you, too.
0: The Starfish and the Spirit, Unleashing the Leadership Potential of Churches and Organizations is published by Zondervan Press. He actually wrote it with Rob Wegner, and there's commentary and thoughts from Alan Hirsch in the book as well. I'd love for you just to give us a quick version of The Starfish and the Spider, which is a book that you keyed on as you were writing The Starfish and the Spirit. If you could kind of orient us to The Starfish and the Spider by giving us a quick version of these distinct organizational types, that might be a great way to start our conversation.
1: Yeah, it will be a good way to start it. So uh, in the mid-2000s, I want to say around 2007, maybe 2008, I can't remember the date, Ori Brothman produced a book called The Starfish and the Spider. It ended up really being a runaway New York Times bestseller. Uh, I actually became really good friends with Ori shortly after that book came out and we've worked together on a few projects and the book was really significant to me. And I found that it had been very significant to tons of pastors and not many pastors I would walk into their library and that book not be in their library. And so, Ori and, and Rod Beckstrom, his co author, riffed off of a metaphor of the starfish and the spider revolving around centralized and decentralized organizations. And the spider reckon, represented a centralized leadership or centralized organization as this. So if you were to look at a starfish and a spider from just a little bit of a distance, they they look similar. So you've got a a main body and then you've got legs or arms that radially spread out. But there's uh, unique differences to to these two animals, if you want to say. A spider, all of its intelligence is centrally located in its head. So if you cut the head off a spider, it dies. But a uh, starfish is a neural network. And so it, it, all of the intelligence in a starfish is spread throughout the entire body. So you can't cut the head off and kill a, a starfish. In fact, if you cut one of the arms off of a starfish, it'll regrow the arm that it lost and the other arm will develop into a new starfish. And so they use this as an analogy of centralized and decentralized leadership. And so, we ran with that as far as it as it applies to to the church and you know and faith-based leadership
0: so you took this distinction right between this decentralized organization meta- metaphorized or put in medical, metaphorical pictures the spider and then the starfish this idea of being decentralized that its intelligence it spread throughout the entire organism you expanded it applied its insight for for churches. What was the genesis of saying, you know what, the church, or at least a variety of church organizations that we're familiar Mm -hmm. with, they can benefit from this distinction. They can really benefit from this insight. What sparked that for you and Rob when you were writing the book?
1: Yeah, well, there are a couple of things. Just watching over the years how leadership in the church has become centralized and how it's become not only centralized, but it's really so much of the leadership practices in the church and faith-based organizations has been drawn from the world systems. I mean, the very thing that Jesus in Matthew 20 said, it will not be this way among you. You know, he was talking about leading. He was talking uh, because his, his, his disciples were jockeying for position, wanting to know who could be on the right, who could be the left in his kingdom. And Jesus rebukes them in Matthew 20, 25, He says, you know, the Gentiles exercise dominion or lordship or lord it over one another, but it will not be that way among you. And then he goes into the whole deal about the one that will be least will be the greatest. The one that will be first will be the servant of all. And we, of course, we see Jesus leading this way. And then we see Paul throughout the epistles use this metaphor of the body. And it really explodes in Ephesians 4 when he talks about the Apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, and teacher. And I would argue, and many of us would argue, that that's a body text. It's not a leadership text because Ephesians was written to the body. And and then he goes and he says, this is the key as he moves on through Ephesians 4. He says, this is really the key to a mature body and to a strong body uh, that builds itself up. And so you see when he talks about in first Corinthians 12 and Romans 12, he talks about the gifts of the spirit, the fruit of the spirit in in Galatians five, it's distributed throughout the body. And yet we have created leadership systems that centralize it and stack it in hierarchical ways, just like the world system does. And so that had graded on me for lack of a better term for a long time. In fact, I wrote a book in 2012 called Unleader that really dealt with a lot of this. And I'm still answering your question, Aaron, too. This is all answering that question. Why did we write this book? Uh, So then uh, you would start seeing major leaders go down, fall, if you want to say, or be removed. You know, one of the most notable ones, obviously, Mark Driscoll. And that happened in 2014. But I wrote this book in 2012 because I could see it coming. And uh, I wrote on leader in 2012, but we just kept seeing it happen, happen, happen. And then, you know, just name after big name, after big name, after big name, you know, James McDonald then Bill Hybels goes down. And I mean, you can't get any bigger on leadership as far as people that have, have, have really framed and influenced the leadership systems of the church, the Bill Hybels. And so, so many of these guys started going down, not just for what you would expect, you know, they you know, committed adultery or whatever, but bullying, controlling, abusing their staffs. And it just keeps happening and happening and happening and happening. And the response has been, oh, well, there needs to be more accountability. And what that means, well, we just need to have more big names, more higher ups, more power people above them that'll hold them down. It's like, no, that's, that's, that's not what Jesus prescribed. And that's not what Paul prescribed. So the culmination of all that just led us to uh, thinking for a long time that, Hey, there really needs to be something that addresses this. And then also at the same time addresses the life of the church distributed out in the body. And so that's why the starfish and the spirit, our book really deals a lot with growing the church in more of a micro church type of systems. And yet at the same time, you have to deal with the leadership systems and get to a distributed leadership that is decentralized.
0: So you talked about uh, distributed leadership, and this it's being diffused through the church. And and one of the benefits is that whenever leadership is consistently being pushed out, is that it keeps the the pressure. Let's say on the church to be the church rather than the pressure being centralized. Because the the flip side of the coin of of Leadership being focused in one person or a small few is that that's where the pressure is as well. And of course, there's the the famous uh, lines about you know everything rises and falls on leadership, and that might that might mm-hmm. be true. But if your concept, if your imagination of leadership, is that it's only in one or two or three yep. whatever the small number is, then that the corollary to that is oh, there's a lot of pressure on that one exactly. or two on that one or two or three. So I thought that was one of the nice things that uh, that you and Rob did was to say, man, this is this is not us being against pastors. This is, this is a way for mm-hmm. us to care for pastors, right? We want to create a structure that's not simply more flexible and less fragile. We want to create a structure that's going to be better for those who are leading in it, right? Who who have been called yeah. and aside and given to the church to help this organization be reproduced over and over and over again and it's and its identity pushed through the whole thing
1: right uh, i mean you 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 got it i mean and i'm glad that you get it is it and and that's the thing is to say the least we're not against the church we're not against pastors we're for the church we're for you know pastors i mean rob was a pastor for you know 25 years i was a pastor for 25 years i work with pastors every day i work with church planners every day and even those that that don't culminate in you know some tragic fall or whatever still so many of them are just constantly walking wounded and they're worn out their families are worn out the churches are frustrated it shouldn't be that way it doesn't need to be that way and so no one was designed to carry the weight I mean one in fact I did this in a you may remember there's a metaphor I I, I had uh, the publisher drop a little picture of Atlas holding up a globe, and I just named a few things that we expect a pastor to... I mean, if you just look at the job description of a typical pastor, what he's supposed to be the top theologian. He's supposed to be an expert on marriage. He's supposed to be an expert on raising kids. He's supposed to be a great CEO. He's supposed to be a great fundraiser. I mean, you could go on, 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 and on. I mean, who do we think we are that we can... And why would we want to carry all that weight? And so, but that's, like you said, the old axiom that I think a lot of guys believe it's in the Bible that everything rises or falls on leadership. Yeah, it may be true, but the problem is we never question. but what kind of leadership? We just assume there's only one type of leadership and it's dominator hierarchy leadership. And this is the very thing Jesus said, no, 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 no. And yet we try to, make it that way, and then when we get shaken up by podcasts such as The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, I guarantee you there are teams and there are leaders that are in their offices trying to figure out a way to double down on better leadership so it doesn't happen to them. It's the system. It's the type of leadership. I mean, this system of leadership that we've adopted into the church is perfectly designed to give us the results that we're getting.
0: One of the aspects of this conversation that I feel sometimes just gets assumed is, and I don't, I don't, I'm not sure where you are, are in this question, but just to bring it up because it's something I've talked about on the podcast before is, and I've had the conversation a number of times is in terms of ordination. And sometimes people will say, well, ordination is automatically hierarchical, right? It's already, it's already top down. And, and for me, whenever I'm teaching ordina, ordination, I'm trying to flip it upside down to say everything rises and falls on the leadership of Jesus. He was successful in battling the forces, in living the perfect life. He actually did this. Whenever we order or ordain people, and it's the church that's participating with the Spirit in our system, at least to, to order people to ordain them, it's a reminder that all of this Falls on Jesus, and He is the one who is holding us. To go back into Paul's metaphor, He's the head of the body, right? He's the yes. firstborn. And the the next thing I want to say after that about ordination is it is to remind and set the stage for what God has already done for every person in the church. God has already ordered every person in the yep. tr- in the church into ministry, right? To to be fruitful and multiply in the creation, to go into all the world and preach the good news to everybody, right? teaching and proclaiming and healing and baptizing this is then given to the whole church and so whatever we have about ordination is just to be a symbolic reminder of Jesus is the head and he's called you into ministry he has ordered you and ordained you right. in ministry so i really appreciate how that model fits well into the theology that i've been that i that is convicting to me and that i that i've been teaching precisely because it raises the bar for the whole church right? It's not, it's not lowering the bar for everybody. It's raising the the bar. We're all in Christ who's holding the world. If I could use the the picture and the metaphor that you had in the book.
1: Yeah, you know, it is. And, and, you know, it's just like the, uh, the issue of accountability, for instance, is in, in most systems of accountability in dominator hierarchy systems, which we see prevalent throughout most of our churches, When you talk about accountability or when those leaders or when those senior pastors talk about accountability, they're talking about who's accountable to them. And so even if they talk about church discipline, it's higher ups disciplining the body. And you see throughout the epistles, no, the body disciplines the body. Okay. I mean, it's, it's no, it is mutual submission. And, And here's the reason the Mark Driscoll's or the Bill Hybels develop in the way that they develop people say, well, they had a board of accountability. But no, when you've got someone that has that much power and is able to wield it, most of their board members, and these accounts have come out in the reports, most of the board members themselves, they are afraid of that leader. And so Mm -hmm. no one holds them accountable. No one, they're not allowed to hold anyone, anyone accountable until we get back to this body thing that you're talking about, where the body is released, fully functioning, to do the works of the ministry and to make disciples and be accountable and hold one another accountable in mutual submission. We'll just keep seeing the same thing. But the beauty of this is, and going back to the relief for pastors is, is you don't have to hold all that up. You don't, you do not have to hold that all up. And when we start changing our job descriptions and we start realizing, no, I'm called to be an equipper, right? I'm called not to be a boss, but to be a coach it's a game changer and it's a joy instiller in what you're doing. It just, it, it changes everything.
0: Joining us today is Lance Ford. Lance, along with Rob Wegner and with commentary from Alan Hirsch, uh, wrote the book, The Starfish and the Spirit. We've been talking about, let's call it pastoral organizational leadership. Mm -hmm. I say organizational leadership, that's in the, the title of the, of the book, but really there's a, there's an organic sense to it. There's an organism and that's the the metaphor we've been we've been talking around we've introduced the metaphor of the body as well and how that that influences the church Lance I've got two questions I'd like to bring to this conversation before we we move to to wrapping it up and the first one has to do with how might a person faithfully and responsibly bring an appropriate challenge to somebody in leadership where they say the accountability is just getting off the off the rails I come to this question and I think about, the disciples are gathered, huddled in the upper room. The doors are locked for fear of the Jews, right? So they're, they're afraid of the religious leaders and Jesus, their leader comes among them. And his first words to them are fear not mm-hmm. right. So maybe one of the maybe one of the the triggers or one of the th- things that you would say is, hey, pay attention to this is if you have a measure of fear of the leader or you see there's a measure of fear of the leader among other people in the church, then that's a warning flag, right? That's there's something that's going on there that you should pay right. attention to. From your experience, coaching and, and in leadership yourself, how can a person faithfully and responsible signal that that thing going on? Because they don't want to be one who's just against the leader. They don't want to be doing that irresponsibly. They don't want to gossip, right? I'm sure there's all kinds of things they don't want to do, but if they feel there's a red flag, how can they signal that responsibly and faithfully?
1: Well, it's tough. And, uh, you know, if if there is a culture of fear and that's usually what it is, there's usually cultures of fear when this gets really bad. If there's a culture of fear, there's a reason for it. There's great difficulty in in breaching that, because if you look at leaders that lead using fear so often, that is a telltale sign of uh, narcissism. Of course, Chuck DeGroat wrote a great book just a year or so ago on, I think it's called When Narcissism Comes to the Church. So he goes in great detail to it. I, I hit it in uh, quite a bit in my book on leader, but, um, and there's some some lists out there. There's some really good lists. Uh, there's a gal named Eleanor Payson that has a list of, I think, like 14 points of uh, narcissistic personality disorder. It's like, hey, if you see at least 10 of these in a leader, there's a good chance this person is either clinically narcissist or or borderline. So that's one of the things I would say, first of all, is to honestly take a look and see if there seems to be a high degree of narcissism that's producing this fear that this leader's. and, And here's the deal is we know this is that people that, that lead with fear are in fear themselves. So it's, there's a, a huge degree of identity crisis going on in the person or their identity is all wrapped up in their position. So it's positional identity. And so, you know, the, the problem is, is that you need to have a really frank, honest, loving conversation, always speaking the truth in love with a leader like that. And, and unfortunately, so often we can't have those conversations. But I think that that's the first thing is just go back to the scripture is like, you know, it's, it's, it's the Matthew 18 deal. It's like, Hey, I'm seeing a pattern in your life. I love you. You have great leadership gifts and abilities. I want to see you succeed. I want to see our church succeed, but there's an issue here and I'm asking you to see it. So it's, it's having that hard, frank discussion, which is no big revelation here for your question, But I think that's the first thing is, you know, too often dysfunctional families, the reason they're dysfunctional is because they're dishonest. They just can't bring themselves to be honest with one another. And then as soon as you do confront someone like that, especially if you bring someone else with you, if it gets to that point, then so often it gets turned around on you. Oh, well, you're trying to produce a coup or, or whatever. If we just believe the scriptures and trust the scriptures and obey the scriptures, we'd be a lot better off for it. But I think that that's one of the, one of the better ways to do it. Now, let me just interject some humor here. One of the things that I've thought about doing is creating a website where people could anonymously have my book sent to the leaders like that. But uh, <laughs> but the, I'm not suggesting that. You know, I think it's just that frank, that hard to sc- We got to get a point where we're honest and we're not fearful for people to be honest with us, knowing that they love us. That's why they're being honest with us.
0: So what, what I hear you say is that anonymous hints are really the best way to deal with uh, <laughs> the bully, right? Like, exactly. Yeah.
1: Anonymous hints.
0: I love what you said that you said it's not, it's not really complex and it isn't right. Courage, courage is rarely complex. Courage is usually very simple, but just very hard, very hard. Yeah. To
1: it, when you said that, it reminded me of the title. I love the title of, uh, uh, is it Friedman's book? I'm sure, you know,
0: it, the uh, failure of nerve, yeah, what it is, nerve, nerve. yeah, it, that's it, what it is. That is, yeah, yeah, it's exactly right. And and with with Friedman's insight is that, and this is this is so important to to shape the heart and the posture of the person who's bringing the challenge, is that the person that's being challenged is as often as much caught up in a system outside their control as they look like they're in charge of the system, right? No question. We're, there are things happening around them that have got them shoved into a box and I've got them acting in a way that, that is, doesn't seem to be healthy, but they're, they're the product of forces too. And so whenever you have this, this approach of it's gentle, it's personal, it's not anonymous. Right. And, and that I would say that there are levels of response that sometimes there has to be an anonymous response if there's a if there's a, a level of danger and people have to just you know apply some sense to that and get and get wisdom. right a lot of the times it's a it's a personal and gentle approach that's that's not done in the same way in, in a way that mirrors what the what the toxic leadership yeah is.
1: it does not have to be come across as confrontational yeah. that's the thing it's, it's so so it sadly and especially in, in our culture right now because we have such a call-out culture now and a cancel culture and all that, it's we've really lost the ability to have a generous discourse about anything that we disagree with. But that's why we have the scripture, right? I mean, the, the scripture is the voice of the kingdom. It's the ethos of the kingdom. Here's how a society is supposed to work. Here's God's idea of how people should get along and thrive. Do this and you will live, right? But we just... We don't do it. We don't we're not obedient
0: to it. Speaking to the, the leader in this, and I've been reading Richard Foster in, in prep for some mm-hmm. classes celebration discipline and just reminded again of the, the good news that is simplicity. He says simplicity mm-hmm. is freedom. Duplicity mm-hmm. is bondage. It's and good. whenever whenever the leader is feeling like oh, I've got to I've got to put on. And there's, there's a time for putting on the pastoral mask. And, and I've had conversations about that and other things. And, and that's has to be well nuanced. But whenever it feels that we're just putting on the mask and, and we've forgotten, like, oh man, where do I end and when, when does the role start? Like those, those are all totally blurred. There's a bit of freedom that God might be interjecting and bringing into it. And so one of the disciplines that, that I found helpful in my own leadership, and this is extended into the church and, it, and as a professor and just even with my friends, is if somebody has had the courage to come and have a one-on-one or to have a gentle word whenever I'm not being gentle, is to check myself and just say, okay, I don't have to agree or disagree with them intellectually in the moment but I can certainly respect and hear what is it they're trying to do. And so to kind of come out of that headspace where, where, for me, just speaking of myself, I can, I can live in that headspace to come out of that headspace and say, okay, what's the heart, right? What's the heart to heart that the person is risking having as I, as I pay attention, because there's something better for me that God might have, right? There's something that God might have for me through this person who's, who's risking a word with me.
1: Right. You know, when you said that immediately what went through my mind is that that uh, situation that David went through. And I don't I don't remember. It may have been when he was fleeing Absalom. He and his mighty men were out and kind of on patrol where they may have been running. But this guy, I can't remember the name of the guy that comes up and starts cursing David and throwing stones at him. And and, yes, yes, yes. And I don't know if it's Joe Abber or whoever said, hey. I'm going to kill this dude. You know, he's cursing the king. And David said, nope. He says, nope, the Lord may have sent him. Yeah. Yeah. And man, that's the attitude we need to have. You know, it's like, hey, this hits me all wrong. My cackles are getting raised up. But you know what? What if God sent him to speak something to me? I'm not seeing. And I think that's that humble attitude that you just said, that even if we don't have to agree in the moment, we need to take it back and sit on it and say, Lord, did you send him? Did you send her to speak to me?
0: I want, I want to take this and make just a, a quick shift. So we've been just the last couple of minutes talking about how can a person bring a word to somebody that they say, you know, th- this leadership might be getting off the rails, right? There might be a, a flag that we're paying attention to. And that kind of shifted into how leaders can then hear that word. I want you to keep speaking to pastors and people who are in some form of, of leadership. And they just say, you know what, I would love for my church and we can fill it in like church ministry, whatever else I would love for this to move in a starfish kind of direction where the leadership is more diffused and where I'm empowering other people and and other people are recognizing Mm -hmm. how they've been empowered, but they're just feeling stuck. I'm sure, I'm sure that you talk to people who just feel stuck. Um, you know, you, you can address this head to head, or you can address this heart to heart. What would you say to the person who's in leadership and is getting the vision that you've got, but they say, I'm just stuck. I don't know what next step to take.
1: I think that, that usually what we found in the, in, the, in the leadership groups and churches that we co- coach and consult, et cetera, is we usually start with saying, look at your team. Look at the people around you, and let's go back to the Ephesians 4 job description of the leader and say, okay, an apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, and teacher – whether they're a school teacher or whether they're in vocational ministry, whatever their goal is to equip others for the work of ministry. So the first thing we want to do is we want to find out what we have before us and help others discover their gifts and their callings. And so that's where a lot, a lot of times we utilize several different types of gifts assessments that really particularly do focus on five folding gifts, five fold gifts and the voices and how to use those voices as a team. So I would start by looking at my team and saying, who do I have around me? I don't have to do this alone. I am not alone. If I've got 10 people, very likely there's some 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 gifts here, even, you know, if it's 20 fold or if it's 60 fold, even if they haven't really developed those gifts out. The first thing is to find who has what and help them develop that and coach that up in them so that you're not doing this alone and you realize that you're not doing it alone. And you don't have to do it alone. You're not just a set of eyes and a mouth disconnected from a body. Uh, No, there's a body that you're connected to. Utilize the rest of that body. And that's a big part of our job description. And that's a big part of bringing that relief that we talked about for overwrought pastors
0: anyway. One of the images that I like to to reflect upon whenever I'm thinking about being stuck is kind of the, the opposite of being stuck when I think of a vehicle is a vehicle is going fast, but whenever you're going fast and you get used to going fast, you just kind of take that for granted, right? You, you you miss the velocity you've got going. But man, when you're stuck in, and I've been stuck in snow before, right? I have a vehicle stuck in snow, grew up in Canada. Whenever a vehicle has been stuck in snow and you get it just that inch where it's like, it's moving, it's like, man, there's euphoria, right? There's a sense of like, yeah. hey, we're not, momentum. we're not <laughs> stuck anymore, right? And suddenly right. like you realize, okay, velocity might be something that you just take for granted, but man, just the smallest budge, when something is stuck, the smallest win that you can, that you can see and name and then accomplish right. is, is so meaningful in the, in the stuck experience, right. When things, yeah. stuck. so my, my encouragement is just like what you're saying, like, like assess who's around you. If you do that assessment, suddenly when people realize, Oh, we are a team, what I have, what I contribute is recognized. That's already a way of unsticking. Right. It, where you it are. is,
1: it is, you know, and, and, um, I know you're familiar with with the uh, diffusion of innovation in that that bell curve. In fact, I'm wanting to say Michael Malcolm Gladwell talked about it, too. But, you know, that's the thing. And so often we look and we say, if I'm stuck or my organization, my church, whatever's stuck, and I want to change it, maybe I've determined the change that needs to be made. But, man, how am I going to turn this thing around? And we get overwhelmed because we start thinking we've got, to, we've got to convert everybody to our way of thinking. And really you don't. And in and, and the diffusion of innovation, it really shows over and over and over. And this is 50, 60 years of research that's just shown the pattern over and over and over. Any group or organization can be changed if you just change 16% of the members, but it's the right 16% that you have to go after. And that's, that's, that's the issue.
0: Joining us today has been Lance Ford. Lance, along with Rob Wegner and with commentary from Alan Hirsch, are the authors of The Starfish and The Spirit, Unleashing the Leadership Potential of Churches and Organizations, published by Zondervan Press. Lance, thanks so much for taking the time to join us today. And if I am right, we have you scheduled to come back. And uh, so this will just be part one of two. But thanks for taking the time today to be with us and sharing your experience and your research and your wisdom with us.
1: Yeah, I enjoyed it very much.
0: Thank you, listeners, for tuning in. I hope that today's podcast has done what we've aimed to do, which is to introduce topics and resources for fruitful ministry. Maybe you could think about the goal of the podcast is to diffuse and to push out the leadership responsibility so that you are getting ideas and encouragement that then is being replicated through you. Thanks, Connor, for your editing work. Appreciate all that you've done and that you continue to do to produce the podcast. Great being a teammate with you. Thanks again, Lance. Thanks, Connor. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in. Have a great day. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter under the name Wesley Seminary.